Thank you, Allison. <clears throat> She's doing a great job, isn't she? Yeah. So much better having a, a teen uh, give the update on Samaritan's Purse than one of us boring adults, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, she's been doing a great job, and thank you for everyone that has been giving to it. Uh, we really appreciate it, and Christmas will be here before we know it, and so these boxes have to be shipped well in advance of that to get to these other countries. But uh, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Richmond. Good to see all of you that are here this morning, and those of you that are joining us online or out in the fellowship hall, uh, looking forward to what God will do, and in addition to what he's already done. We had a great 830 service, and uh, the worship is uh, beautiful again this morning. We're looking forward to uh, uh, hearing uh, the Lord, the remainder of this service. But a couple of things before I invite our guests up. Uh, this Wednesday, we, will act, we normally do uh, the Lord's Supper and Communion the first Sunday of the month. But one to two times a year, we do it on a Wednesday. And so this month, well, that'll be the case. Uh, so uh, we can use that as a lever to get you to come out on Wednesday. No, that's not why. <laughs> It's not why we do it, uh, but a couple of times a year we do, do, do it on a Wednesday. So this coming Wednesday, uh, if you're able to do any fasting that day, that's a great opportunity as well. We have prayer and fasting throughout the day. Uh, but the prayer and the Lord's Supper, the communion service will be this Wednesday. We'll have obviously some worship. Uh, we'll take uh, the Lord's Supper together and we'll certainly pray. And if you uh, need the Lord to heal you, we'll also have he uh, anointing with oil uh, near the end of the service. All that is taking place this Wednesday. And uh, next Sunday, we have Bill James will be back. He was here about a year ago. Uh, Bill will be here from Uganda Kids Project. He's been all over the United States um, in recent months. And uh, his wife will be here for the very first time ever, at least with us. Uh, she usually stays back and she'll be here. Uh, so Danielle will be here and uh, they will be here together. We're looking forward to that. And uh, he'll be giving an update on what's taking place in Uganda, as well as um, just uh, what God is doing in the overall ministry. 500 kids being ministered to there. Uh, then after he shares, he's going to give about a 15-minute update. I will be sharing, but I don't want to jump into the next portion of Acts with Stephen's message. So I want to make sure that uh, we kind of have full time for that. So I'll be giving a, a special message uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Heavenly minded on an earthly mission. Heavenly minded on an earthly mission from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So come out and uh, you know, you'll hear Bill and uh, meet Danielle and what God's doing in Uganda. And if you want to sponsor one of the children, that'll all be available next Sunday. And then I'll be sharing that message. Uh, and so with that, we want to continue to pray for revival. Uh, last week we were praying for the nation of Cambodia. Today the nation of Poland. Uh, isn't it great to know that God is working all over the world. Like in places you'll never visit in your entire lifetime, the Holy Spirit is there right now. You'll never get there. You'll never speak the language. Uh, but God is working all over the world. And so we're praying for the nation of Poland. Uh, and really, every time we pray for one country, in my mind, I'm praying for all the nations. And we're just uh, remembering that God has put us all over the planet. Uh, but Jesus came to save the whole world. And uh, they need revival there, just like we need it here. So we've been praying for revival uh, just for the sake of time this morning and uh, ample time for our guest. Uh, I ask you just to see, uh, stay seated and pray as we pray for revival and um, just that God would bring about what only he can do. 
Lord, we just come before you now. We thank you this morning for your grace. Jesus, we know that you want to bring revival more than we could ever desire it. We know, Lord, that uh, you are gracious and compassionate, full of mercy, full of grace. Lord, you extend your nail-pierced hands to the entire world. And Lord, we pray that uh, even in this room, uh, you would revive and refresh us. Maybe we came in this room very dry, very stale, maybe distant from you, maybe disinterested, maybe distracted, maybe depressed or anxious or whatever it may be. Lord, we pray that you would revive and refresh and heal those that are in this room. And if we know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, we would have a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, a refilling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, a deep desire to know you more. And if there's people in this room that don't know you, Lord, you'd open their eyes. Today would be the day of salvation. They would be born anew by the Spirit of God, Lord, not just in this room, but all across this country. We have so many that don't know you. They know your name, but they don't know you personally. We have family members, we have friends, we have neighbors, we have people that we work with, people we come in contact with, they're still in darkness, maybe not even interested in the gospel, Lord, we pray that you'd open their eyes, you'd pierce the darkness as only you can. We pray people would turn from sin and addictions and all the things that are bringing so much destruction, and Lord, we pray not only that you do that in this country, but in the nation of Poland, Lord, you, we know you love the Polish people, and Lord, you love the people of all tribes, tongues, and nations all over the world. We pray for a worldwide harvest before Jesus you return. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries all over this world. We pray that you would comfort them, deliver them, heal them as only you can. We ask all of these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for uh, praying with us this morning. So we, uh, we do have a special guest, and uh, I guess you've been a guest numerous times in this church now over the last two years. Uh, I mentioned uh, last Sunday that uh, you know, Zach and Lee just came back, and they're sitting right there, and you guys aren't in your normal spot. You're supposed to be sitting over there, right? Um, sometimes people switch it up, and they sit in different places. Some of you never move, but, uh, you know, but a few people switch it up, and so they're sitting here, and they just got back. And uh, Zach, if you don't know, has to go right back to India on the 18th, right? The 18th of October, he flies back to India uh, to do another month's worth of things with the team that's there and get everything closed down and uh, things that need to be sold. And uh, I think he's even planning on shipping something back to the States. So we'll see how that works. But anyway, uh, he's got a lot to do. And so we only had a little bit of time to kind of sync up this week and next week. And so we're doing that. And uh, Rich had approached uh, me about potentially he's down here visiting the grandchild and taking some time hey, I'm glad to share one Sunday, and, uh, and I thought about it and prayed about it, and the Lord's like, take him up on it. So he is going to be sharing the word with us, and he did share at the 8.30 service, and it was a real blessing, uh, faithful times, uh, faithful living in faltering times from 2 Kings chapter 2, and uh, if you don't know, Pastor Rich has uh, been pastoring in Illinois for 30 years in Peoria. You know, they say if it plays in Peoria, well, it has for a long time there, 30 years, it's been playing there, so... Uh, he, uh, he is a, a brother that loves the Lord, so give a warm welcome to Pastor Rich this morning. Uh, thank you, Tim. What a great joy to be with you at Calvary Chapel here in Richmond this morning. Um, Kimberly and I have uh, been here for five 
times previously over the last couple years as Jackson and Taylor are now here and you are their church home. You've loved them so well and we have grown to love you. Uh, we love so much about what God's doing here. We love that uh, you're a church that uh, uh, opens up the Word, exposits God's Word each Sunday, uh, feasts and get nourished in your soul. We love that you pray. Um, oftentimes we've, we've uh, knelt as well and, and prayed for revival, love that passion for revival that you have. Uh, Kimberly has often remarked, this is the friendliest church I've ever been in. <laughs> we love you for your, for your love, for your love for each other, love for, love for guests. We, we love you for your hope of the God's promise uh, in the future. You know, I think we've heard a couple messages about, about the millennial kingdom and about uh, God's going to be faithful to his promises to Israel and about Jesus coming again. And, and we love all those things, all those things and so much more about you. Uh, and today I discovered one more thing I love about CCR, CC Richmond. Uh, in, I don't know if you noticed, but in two of your announcements, two events, the word donut appears. <laughs> That is fantastic. <laughs> so we will be back, Lord willing, <laughs> to come and enjoy uh, the fellowship here. But um, So thank you again for, for being here. Now, Allison, too, I know she doesn't speak very much, and this is new to her, but I did learn something from her. I, I have been teaching the Bible for uh, over 40 years, and um, I learned something new. Uh, I learned that right before you say something real important, you just say, drum roll, please. <laughs> And everybody gets ready, so I like that. I, I, might, I might try it out this morning, all right? Well, we're going to be in 2 Kings in our church in Peoria. Greetings from Peoria, Illinois. I don't know how many of you have vacationed in Peoria, Illinois before, um, but uh, uh, it's a, sort of that flat farmland of Illinois, and um, uh, we're in a series in First uh, and Second Kings regarding Elijah and Elisha, and I wanted to take one of those stories that uh, that God captured my heart just a couple weeks ago, as as I preached it a few weeks ago. Um, uh, it's it's a story filled with somewhat wonder, mystery, uh, solemnity, and so we want to look at that. Let's read it together first. If you have a Bible. I know they offer Bibles here too. This church, like ours at, at Bethany and Peoria, believe that everybody should have a copy of God's Word. And so, Second uh, um, Kings chapter two, verses fifteen through twenty-five is what we're going to read. And if you would, um, one of our practices is often we stand to hear the Word of the Lord. So, if you would stand with me as I read this section of Scripture. So uh, context-wise, Elijah's had this amazing ministry, but now it's time for him to depart, and Elisha is, is having the baton passed to him. And so Elijah's just gone up to heaven. He's transported with these, uh, this chariot of fire with flaming horses, and now Elisha has walked back across uh, the Jordan River as uh, the waters part when Elisha Hits the, hits the water with Elijah's mantle or cloaks. That's where we are in verse 15. So the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we are your servants, and we have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied. Do not send them. 
But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. And so he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? And the men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And he was walking along the road, and some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head. They said, go on up, you bald head. And they called down, and, and Elisha then turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods, and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please be seated. Let me pray with you all before we start. Lord, we ask that you to speak to us, and that we would have a heart of faith to receive the message you would give. Speak by your Spirit, through your word, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So let's consider this story afresh. Uh, let's imagine some of the, the details, perhaps, that are not written, but we can sort of fill in the gaps. Elisha walks across the very dusty floor of the Jordan River, and, and so many emotions are just filling up his heart. He he ponders the chariots of fire and the blazing horses that accompanied Elijah out of this world. He'd been walking with Elijah for 16 years. And now he knows that his mentor and friend is gone. Uh, tears in his eyes well up as he grieves this profound loss. He'd been told that today would be the last day that Elijah would ever walk the face of this earth. And yet never in the wildest imagination did he picture this. And yet he's also strangely comforted, comforted by the truth that God protected Elijah from the demonic realm all the way to his forever home in heaven. Elisha now steps out of the dry riverbed and onto the shores of the promised land. He watches as the parted waters splash and crash violently together. Spray soaks his clothes as he looks at Elijah's cloak in his hand. He knows that the Lord has given him a solemn responsibility that he has been given the double blessing that he asked from Elijah, and the presence of the Lord is now upon him, that he is God's representative, he, he, he is God's microphone, God's prophet, God's spokesperson, to come to a nation with a message, a message of repentance and a message of faith, to turn from idols and to worship the one true and living God, Yahweh. Elisha knows that many will hate him, just like they hated Elijah. And yet he also knows that the Lord will be with him, and the Lord will protect him, even as he protected Elijah. With soberness he prays, Lord, give me strength to be faithful. Give me wisdom to be useful. 
Give me power to be bold. Give me grace to obey you. Give me mercy when I sin. And give me faith to see you when it seems like you're not here. As Elisha lifts up his eyes, he sees 50 sons of the prophets all approaching him from Jericho. These men had followed Elijah and Elisha earlier in the day and watched them as, they, as Elijah hit the river with his cloak and the waters parted and Elijah and Elisha walked across the river out of the promised land and out of their sight. They saw that God had given power to Elisha as he comes back and he slaps the same cloak down the water and the waters part. And so they bow down to Elisha out of respect for God's hand upon him. And, and they announced, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha too. And yet, these 50 men, they didn't like change. <laughs> they liked the old order of things. They liked the personality of Elijah and the consistency of Elijah. They liked the way Elijah preached. <laughs> and they knew that Elijah... That the, that the Lord had taken Elijah up out of sight. But what they didn't know was that the Lord had taken Elijah completely out of this world, taken him to heaven. And so, so they rose to Elisha and they bowed down. And they said, Elijah, you're a really great guy, but we want to follow Elijah. Don't you think it's possible that the Lord just simply lifted Elijah up into the air and then placed him on some mountain, some valley? Maybe he's waiting for us. Maybe he needs us. Don't you think it's okay for us to go seek after him? We, we can get 50 guys right now, a search party. Let's go. Elisha, Elisha looks, guys, that, that is not a good idea. You see, Elijah, he's not just gone. He's gone, gone. <laughs> you, you know how you think that uh, Elijah is a man who's sort of out of this world? Well, he's literally out of this world. <laughs> he, he's not here anymore. Uh, there is no need to send out a search party. But the men did not want to give up on their hope. Like children who want to go to pool on a hot day, they persist in their request. What's the harm, they say? Please let us go. Please let us go. Are you trying to get rid of Elijah? He might be alive and he might be out there. You must not care about him at all. And on and on. And Elijah... These accusations begin to sting at his heart, and he sighs, okay, okay, go ahead. Go ahead with your plan. And giddy with joy, the 50 organize this huge search party, and they scour the land for Elijah. They, they look uh, in every cave. They, they search every crevice, every ravine, every bush, every nook. For three whole days, they're out there just scouring the land. And nothing. Nothing. They come back to Elisha, and Elisha's just been sort of relaxing in Jericho, and they say, we didn't find him. And Elisha looks, and he smiles, and he says, you know, my mom told me never to say this, but I told you so. <laughs> I told you we weren't going to find him. The 50 put their heads down, and they go back to their homes in Jericho. Well, after some time... The leading men of Jericho come to Elisha with a problem. Elisha has been living in Jericho for a while, and these leaders know that Elisha is connected to the Lord, Yahweh. And they say to him, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well as a city. We, we have roads that are good, and jobs are steady, defenses are strong, but now we have a problem. 
the well, the spring here, is terrible. It's so terrible we can't drink from it. In fact, when we use it to irrigate our farms, it kills all the crops. And if something doesn't happen, we have no future. Well, Elisha sees the parallel between Jericho's spring and Jericho's soul. The people's soul, you see, are still corrupted by mixed worship. They, they give homage to the Lord, but they also have a place in their heart for Baal. And their hearts are, are, are contaminated by spiritual idolatry and by disobedience. Elisha knows what the Lord is doing, that the Lord is using a physical problem to illustrate a deeper spiritual need. So Elisha says, okay, bring me a new bowl and fill it up with salt. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. I thought you might bring the engineers out and show us what we can do to make our water. But a new bowl and salt, is that right? Is that what you, yep, that's what I need. Okay, we'll do it. So they bring him this new bowl, fill it with salt, and Elisha takes the bowl and he walks out to the spring and he throws all the salt into the spring. And as he does so, all the people guess, no, no, salt is only going to make our water worse. Salt's not going to make it any better. Elijah smiles and he says, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, I have healed this water. This water will no longer bring death, but this water will bring a nourishment of life. Life to all who drink from it, life from every plant that is irrigated by it. I am the Lord, and there is none like me. Your Baal could not sweeten your spring. Only I can do it, and I will do it, because I care for you. And from this day forward, this spring pours forth flat, fresh, sweet water. The permanent blessing of God upon the string spring illustrates day by day the Lord's forever blessing upon every person who comes to faith Him. Every person who has a need and who looks to the Lord for His miracle of grace will find a God filled with favor. Some time passes, and the Lord leads Elisha to go back to Bethel. Bethel is, is a, a, a place of promise. It's the place where the Lord met with Jacob in a dream. And as he's going to Bethel, a big mob of young men see him traveling along the road. And when they see the Lord's prophet, they chase after him, they surround him, and they start cursing him. These young men, some teenagers, some in their 20s, hate Elisha, even though they've never met him personally. They hate him. Why do they hate him? They know that Elisha speaks for Yahweh, and they hate Yahweh. They hate Yahweh's commands. Yahweh's commands are constricting their lifestyle. They hate Yahweh's worship. Yahweh's worship is too confined, too narrow for their taking liking, and so they threaten Elisha, and they jeer at him. Well, these guys know that followers of Elisha believe that the Lord took Elijah out of the world by translation, by a rapture. And they mock at that story. They, they've heard the story. They think it's ridiculous. And so one of the ridicules that they 
present to Elisha, said, hey, Elisha, why don't you go on up just like Elijah? Just go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. See if the Lord can protect you from us by just taking you up too. Elisha turns around and he understands that these young men are not just threatening him, but that they are cursing the Lord. And there is a jealousy, a a righteous desire for the glory of God that wells up in him. And he calls a curse down upon these young men from the Lord. Elisha knows that if these young men get away with such public ridicule of the Lord of Yahweh, that others will join them. And that the nation will spiral back into deep, deep darkness of false worship. Upon Elisha's curse, two female bears rush out of the woods like they're shot out of a cannon. No one see them coming. It, it, they just all of a sudden appear, and their powerful claws are swinging, and their sharp teeth are tearing. And when the melee is over, 42 young men lay dead, ripped open by these bears. Elisha then walks to Mount Carmel, the place where Elijah had earlier confronted the prophets of Baal. What a solemn story, filled with spiritual meaning. And the main idea we're going to trace through this morning is that God redeems a people to know him and enjoy him forever. Uh, That is God's agenda, to to purchase a people for his own possession who, who will see him for the glorious God that he is. And, and benefit from his goodness and respond in praise and adoration and worship. And the other truth that we're going to grab onto is how the Lord employs flawed human leaders to help his people worship him together. That that is the Lord's method. So our story marks the passing of the baton from Elijah to Elisha. In the next 17 years, the Lord is just going to be using Elisha to be his microphone to reach his people. God often replaces his messengers. He never alters his message. (laughs) The story in front of us highlights three key ideas about God's plan to lead his people to worship him. So the first idea that we're going to grab onto is that God blesses his people through spiritual leadership. Uh, We see that first with Elijah, now with Elisha. And what a curious thing. This is the consistent method of the Lord ministering to his people, using flawed, feeble, frail people. It it is a curious thing because the Lord doesn't need to do that. The Lord could have employed his angels. And you know what? If an angel had been the church of CCR, there would have been no need to ever have another pastor because that, 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 that angel would have been the pastor forever and ever. And can you imagine having an angel up here? <laughs> How much better than me? <laughs> like, there's a glowing guy up here. He has wings. He has, like, wouldn't you be more tempted to listen to him? <laughs> he could have done that, but he didn't. The Lord, in fact, could have made himself his own instrument. After all, you think the Lord is omnipresent. He could be in every place, every time. He, he is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He's sovereign. He, he could have personally led his people, but he chose not to. Instead, the Lord chooses as the means to which to bring a message of grace, a message of truth, a message of life, to use really feeble, frail, 
and fallen people. All through the scriptures, we see this to be true. So some applications I want to encourage you with. Application number one, thank God for the spiritual leaders that he provides in your life. Thank God for them. Some of you have moms and dads who are spiritual leaders, or are. Uh, thank God for them. Thank God for brothers and sisters. Some of you have brothers and sisters. Some of you have friends. Some of you have a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader. For every disciple of Jesus, as he calls all of us to be members of his local church, God provides spiritual leaders who are leaders of our, our home church. And all of these are, are gifts from the Lord. I want to ask you, do you take time to consciously thank the Lord? Do you spend some time in your prayer through the week and say, thank you, Lord, for, for these whom you've given to me as a spiritual leader, whether elders in church or Sunday school teachers or whoever they might be. You know, a church is stronger when she esteems the leaders that God appoints. And I believe it's, it's, it's right to thank first the Lord, but then also out of an expression for the Lord to, to take some time to thank, thank those who are around you. That's, that's the encouragement that, that, uh, the, 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 that the people of God can give to those whom God appoints. And, and, and we need encouragement. Not long ago, I received a, a note, and I often receive notes, and thank God for, for them. I received a note from a young man in our church, and he, he just said, Pastor Rich, I just want to thank God. I want to you know I thank God for you, and he told me a few other things. And you know, that was like drinking a really strong cup of espresso. <laughs> it was like, yes, my soul is perked up. I, I just want to encourage you. You know, the Apostle Paul um, uh, speaks to some Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and there's, there's a passage there I wanted you to, to think about for a moment. Apostle Paul had spent three years with these folks, and he planned the church and grew the church and was discipling the, the leaders there. Now this is a point where he realizes, I probably will never, ever see these guys face-to-face -face again. You know, they, they kind of had stayed sort of the umbilical cord tied to him and were dependent upon him. He says, no, the, the umbilical cord is getting cut here, and I want to give you some encouragements because you're on your own. The Lord's placed you as leaders over this church in Ephesus. And here's what he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That's, that's the issue, to yourselves and all the flock. And then he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because who made these guys, these leaders, these elders, elders in the church at Ephesus? And, and Paul's saying the Holy Spirit did. Now how did the Holy Spirit do that? I think the Holy Spirit used a really human uh, uh, means to bring these leaders. I don't think, in other words, that there was a divine voice from heaven upon each one or a big light shining on each one. I think what likely happened was either the apostles appointed and, and said, okay, you're going to be a leader, you're going to be a leader, or maybe the congregation voted. But it's a human process. And what the apostle Paul is, he cuts through the human process because in human processes, we can all point to deficiencies in all the human processes. Well, the vote wasn't taken exactly right. But at the end, what, God want, what Paul wants these guys to see is the invisible hand of God working behind ordinary human processes to place people in a role where God has them to be his instruments of proclaiming the truth, of ministering the grace of the gospel to the people. Now notice as well that the church is not the elder's church. It says to care for the church of God. The church is the Lord's because the Lord purchased the church with his own blood. There's a principle, the, the Lord loves the church enough to purchase her for himself with the price of his own blood. Do you realize that? You know, you're, I, I, I started by sharing with you how precious you are to me, because you're precious to Jackson and Taylor, and now my granddaughter, and so that makes you precious to me. 
But I can tell you there's someone you're even more precious to. You are precious to Jesus Christ. You are so precious that Jesus says, I am shedding my own blood so that you could be established as a congregation, and not just established, but thrive as my people, being light and salt in this world. Um, second application, receive the ministry of God from spiritual leaders whom God appoints. You know, the sons of the prophets, they, they weren't too sure about receiving the benefit of Elisha's ministry. And they loved Elijah, they hardly knew Elisha, yet Elisha was the Lord's choice to bring his word to these guys. And now these guys were respectful of Elisha, but they weren't fully receptive. That's why they wasted three days searching for Elijah, even though he was, he was gone. And I imagine if they lived in modern time, even after search, they, 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 might, they might have said something like, hey, we might not have been able to find Elijah, but we can listen to his messages on the internet. <laughs> and they would have missed out on the person whom God placed. Maybe Elisha wasn't as good of a teacher as Elijah, but he was their guy that God appointed for that time and that season. So receive the ministry of God from the spiritual leaders whom God appoints. We honor the Lord when we seek spiritual encouragement and counsel from God's appointed leaders. Not long ago, I was talking to Jackson, my son, about his spiritual life, and he shared that he wanted to grow more like Jesus. He wanted to grow in his faith. He wanted to grow in, in his ability to minister in a church. And so as we talked, uh, we, I talked we, we talked about um, him connecting with some church leaders here and, and asking for their help, and, and he did that. And there is an elder here that committed to meeting with Jackson to talk over life, real stuff life. Life, what are you struggling in? Where's the spiritual struggle? Talk about you know, ministry, talk about all those things. And, and when I heard of that story, my heart just welled up with joy. I love that story for so many reasons. One, that my son is filled with faith and wants to grow, and he's looking to his church to do that. And secondly, that he's part of a church who's willing to commit to that. Isn't that amazing? And that's, that's God's amazing design for his church. Do you want to grow as a follower of Jesus? I urge you then to, re to receive the ministry of God from the leaders in your church home. And think about what actions that might mean. It might mean that you take notes. That's one of the reasons how we, how we receive the ministry. We, we, we take really close attention and and seek then to talk about the, the message after a Sunday and say, how can we apply this? How can we be the people of God? How can we love one another more, right? Um, it might be that you share your prayer requests with others, with the, your church leaders, and tell them specifically. I, I know that Pastor Tim is a man of prayer. Uh, I believe the other leaders are as well. Tell them specifically how, you, how they can pray for you. I, I know they would love to have that ministry in your life. You know, this issue of receiving ministry of God from leaders in our church home may be especially difficult when new leaders are appointed in your church family. And praise God for Pastor Zach, new leader. Um, receive ministry from him. He's going to have a different personality. You know, I don't get, haven't got to know Pastor Zach at all. But receive ministry from him. You know, um, there's a, a friend of mine, especially for us, uh, we'll say more seasoned folks, uh, we need to realize, hey, you know, uh, the Lord establishes change. I, I had a uh, good friend of mine. We're talking. He's a little older than me. He's, he's still he coaches at, at uh, Boston College. He's one of the assistant coaches there, and for basketball. And I, I was, and he was talking to me, and we we're just sharing about life and how life is getting different as we're entering uh, these years. Uh, I'm I'm 59. I got like 
a month before my sixth birthday or so. <laughs> but, but as we get into this, this late fall, you know, winter of life, and, and he says, you know, I tell my friends, because I see a lot of my friends, I get discouraged, they're, they're, they're complaining a lot, grumbling a lot. He says, here's what I tell my friends. I says, there's, in order for you to have joy in your life for these years, there's three words you have to remember. Change is exciting. <laughs> I thought, you know, that, that's true. Change isn't always fun. Change is often painful, but it's exciting. God, God ordains. You know, there are some things that do not change. Thank God for that. God's word doesn't change. Gospel doesn't change. Righteousness doesn't change. These are immutable qualities of God's kingdom. But almost everything else changes. Third application, pray for your spiritual leaders to remain qualified and to do the work of the Lord. You know, the, the devil assaults every one of God's children. I think he has a special target upon God's servants. Pray for them that they would fight the good fight. All through the Old and the New Testament, we read of leaders who either are not qualified or lost their qualification to represent the Lord. The Bible, I say this because I want you to know, in light of all this, the honor to spiritual leaders, the Bible does not suggest that we blindly follow any man or woman who happens to have a title or occupy an office. So if, if a spiritual leader says something contrary to God's word, come with a, a human spirit of humility, but say with an open Bible and say, say I, I just want to understand exactly how that, that is aligned with the word of God. If a spiritual leader's life, attitudes are contrary to scripture, I come with humbly, come with an open Bible, say, because God's leaders, and I know Pastor Tim is one of these, says, well, we're, we're people under the book. Or people under God's word. Second uh, encouragement: God purifies His people through spiritual leader. You know, God is about the work of purifying us. It's a sanctification that's ongoing. Uh, we're in this process, and early on, as He established Israel, He says to them this in Leviticus twenty: "You shall be holy to Me, for I, the Lord, am holy." And I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So what does it mean to be holy? God, this is what God's doing for his church. He's making us holy. So it means he's separating us from sin, but he's also devoting us to the Lord. He's connecting us to him with sort of this, this passionate love, this commitment that the Lord has uh, for, for us uh, in, our, in our worship. Now, the tainted water in the story is a picture of the spiritual condition of Israel. There are people who are not holy at this time. They are a people who have who allow, allowed their hearts to be contaminated by idolatry. So there was a, a putrid disobedience that flowed into their lives and out of their lives. Uh, and the people recognize now, as they look at this well, that they have a problem that they can't solve. That uh, despite all of their efforts, the water remains contaminated. And if the water stays contaminated, there's no future for them. There's no future for their city. There's no future for their families. And so they go to the, the God's prophet because now they're desperate. And in their desperation, they say, only the Lord can help us. And so we're going to go to the one whom the Lord sent to us to share his message. Elisha then says, bring this bowl, bring this salt. Elisha throws the salt into the water, into the Lord's direction. And in this act, we're, we're reminded first that the bitter water represents contamination of our own souls, that we need a ministry 
of the gospel of grace in our lives. We need something to change us that's beyond us, our ability to change ourselves. The salt represents the purifying agent or the purifying provision of the Lord. So the Lord is bringing salt. We're going to talk about this in a little moment. Into this contaminated water to make it pure. The new bowl represents the new minister, the new messenger, Elisha. So the old bowl, he's in heaven. The new bowl is the one who is, who is now distributing God's means by which this, this, this uh, provision of salvation would come. The main idea behind this whole action sermon, and it's, it's quite an action sermon that Elisha preaches, is that we need a miracle from the Lord if our hearts are to become pure again. That there is no kind of effort that we can make to clean up our lives so that what pours out of us is fresh and nourishing and reviving for, for ourselves or for others. We need a miracle from the Lord. And you know what? The story also tells us is that God is willing and he's able to do that miracle. <laughs> for everyone who comes to him and who's desperate, everyone who comes to him in faith. Notice how the Lord then performs this miracle. The Lord uses something that is strange, it is counterintuitive, it's something that doesn't make sense at all. Salt never makes water sweet. <laughs> how many of you have tasted some water from the tap and said, oh, that doesn't taste exactly right? And this is, I know what I'll do. I'm going to take half a cup of salt and pour it in there. <laughs> Stir it up. Oh, it's all great. No, you, you don't do that. It, it, would be, it, it would be irrational to do that. I don't recommend anyone do that this afternoon. Salt does not make water sweet. And yet, here, salt did make the water sweet. What is the Lord teaching us? The gospel's provision to heal us, to purify our soul, to make us clean, to make us whole, to take all the broken pieces and push them together so that we have one heart, to give us life in the midst of death. The gospel's provision doesn't make sense to our natural mind. You see, God points us to a cross, and here's an amazing cross on the wall. And he says, it's the cross that will bring you life. Now think about this for a moment. If you're a first century person and you saw a cross, your first inclination would not be to make a little tiny replica, cover it with gold and put it on your neck. That would not be your first, your first uh, response. Your first response is to shudder because you know exactly what that cross means. The only time you've ever seen a cross is when you've seen a person hanging on it in agony for hours and days until they died. And God sets a cross before us, and he says, look to the cross for life. And our human heart says, a cross for life? This is an instrument of death. How could an instrument of death be the means by which you bring me life? And God answers, it's an, it's an instrument of death, and it took the life of my own son. And when he came down off the cross, he was dead, and he was buried. He's laid in the grave, but I rose him from the dead. So now the instrument of death is no longer an instrument of death. It becomes a means by which you live. It's through the cross of Jesus. Here's what Paul says. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If we come to Jesus with a heart of repentance and faith, God performs a miracle in our lives. He turns a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He transforms us out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. He makes us who are dead become spiritually alive so that we know God, we can see him. You wish to be alive. You wish to have a pure heart. Seek the Lord for the work of cleansing. Seek the Lord for life that he offers. Open your heart to the strange instrument of salvation. For some of you, you've never come to faith in Jesus. And I would urge you to think about the cross. Is this really true? Is it crazy to be set aside? Or am I desperate enough to say, okay, Lord, I need a miracle. And you say, this is the means for a miracle to happen. I'm going to come to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. And you know what percentage of people who come to Christ for life receive life? Let me ask you a question. How many times would Elisha have to throw the salt in before the water would become pure? Was it maybe like a 10% chance that it would become pure and he just got lucky the first time? Maybe it was a 90% chance. Maybe 99% of the times it it would become pure. No, I tell you. 100% of the times when Elisha's acting underneath the direction of God's Spirit, throwing salt into a contaminated well, 100% of the times the well becomes pure and clean. I want you to know, I I don't know your lives. I don't know what you've done in the past. I don't know how dark your sins. I don't know how long you've been in them. Here's what I know. But everyone who comes to this means, this strange, counterintuitive means of the cross of Christ, receive the benefit of God's full forgiveness receives it and receive life, the resurrected life of Jesus. The last uh, idea that we want to trace here is that sobering one. God judges his people for despising spiritual leadership. One part of the story that's a bit shocking is the part where 42 young men are, are torn about part by two bears as God judges them for despising his servant Elisha. You know, when we first read this, it's so shocking, it doesn't seem like it should be in the Bible. We say, what, what, what is this? I believe we'll never find peace with so much of the Bible, because this isn't the only story like this. We will never find peace with so much of the Bible until we come to grips with two doctrines. The first is that God is more righteous than I am. If we don't come to grips with that, we'll always sit in judgment of God. We'll say, I'm more righteous than God, and I have the right to be his judge. And until we say, no, God is more righteous than I am, there's so much of Scripture that won't make any sense that we'll reject. If God and I disagree with what is right, then the problem is never with the Lord. It's always with some uh, lack of understanding, some lack of knowledge, some lack of holiness, whatever it might be. The second doctrine that protects our souls is that God is right to judge sin. If I disagree with God about the judgment of sin, it's because God is more righteous than I am. It's not because I have a better standard, because I'm more fair, because I I'm I'm, I'm, uh, have greater goodness, because I have less of a goodness. I have less ju- sense of justice. So why are these young men judged so severely? Well, because they despise the Lord. 
You know, these young men despised God's messenger, Elisha, because they despised God's message. And they despised God's message because they despised the Lord. You see, Elisha called them away from doing whatever they wanted with their life, and they didn't like it. He called them to repent of sin. They wanted to stay in their sin. Elisha called them away from worshiping whatever God that they uh, would fashion in their own minds, the, the gods of, of, of their own image, and to only worship Yahweh. And, and they thought that was way too narrow. They didn't like the narrowness of this, and so they hated Elisha. And they hated Elisha because they hated Elisha's Lord. You know, some look at some of these passages on judgment, and, and they look for a refuge away from the the clarity that Scripture provides about the righteousness of God, about His holiness. Some say, for instance, well, I think that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament wouldn't do that. And I've read books of really scholarly people, people who know the Bible, who, who've written that very same thing. And, and every time, though, when I read something like that, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, not the God of the New Testament. I scratch my head, and I, and I wonder, have you read the New Testament? Because this is not a description only reserved for the Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament is, it, 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 even, it even doubles down on the, the righteousness and the justice and the judgment of the Lord. And these are passages that, that stir our soul and they make us a bit uncomfortable, but, the, but, but we lean into them as Christians because we, we know that the Lord is good and we know that we need to hear them so that we would respond rightly to the Lord. But let me read to you a passage, just one of the passages that I'm talking about in the New Testament, from Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head has many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written that no one on him knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the blood of the cross, and, and, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on his white horse, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who is in the presence that had, had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came out of the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. That's Jesus. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Now that's a that's a, that's a passage of Scripture that, that not only speaks of the present uh, character of the Lord, but of the future actions of the Lord. The, the God of the New Testament, Jesus, who's so gentle and meek and mild, is gentle, meek, and mild. But his gentleness is, is not to, to, to be confused with an apathy toward righteousness. The two bears remind us of God's judgment. 
They remind us, don't they, that God's judgment is swift. These bears came like a shot out of a can, and there was no time to respond. By the time the bears are upon, it was too late. They couldn't say, oh, on my deathbed, I'll, I'll then repent. The, the judgment of God was too swift. It was severe. You think this picture, it, 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 it causes me to almost well up with tears. As I think of these 42, it's not that we don't have compassion. These stories are not written to show sort of a meanness. They're written as a warning for everyone who's alive that it's possible for us to avoid the two bears, avoid the judgment of God, it's because the judgment of God is severe. The judgment of God is inescapable. Once the bears came, there was no place to run and no place to hide. And the judgment of God is certain that there is a day appointed for every one of us to stand before the Lord. And it might be five seconds from now for some. It might be five years, 50 years, or more. But the day is certain. It is certain as we are here, the day is coming, and the judgment of God is so patient. You know, I, I don't imagine this is the first time that these young men mocked the Lord, Yahweh. I imagine they'd done it all their lives. They grew up at it. I, th I think they're teenagers. I think they're young men. I think all their lives they stirred up their love for the false gods that they chose to worship. They fashioned after their own image. And yet, every time they mocked the Lord, nothing happened. And they, they went home and say, see, you know, we mocked the Lord. And nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened until this day they mocked the Lord and two bears came out. The Lord is patient. He, he's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. And that's why he's so patient. He's patient as he's waiting for you to come, to come. Friends, I urge you, do not wait for the bears to charge. Very few have any hope if the bear of judgment appears. I ask you, why would you delay? God has not left us without a witness, a clear witness, to his character and his righteous response to sin. Think of this, and I'll just think of this few of the stories. The Lord cast out Adam and Eve from the garden. The Lord put a curse upon Cain. The Lord flooded the earth and all perished, save Noah and his family. The Lord sent fire from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord sent an angel of death to take the firstborn from every home that was not covered by the blood. The Lord opened the earth to swallow up the sons of Korah as they rebelled against Moses. And we're not even out of Exodus. on and on and on, to miss the message of God's righteous judgment is to turn a deaf ear to the Lord. On the day of judgment, no one will be able to say, Lord, why didn't you warn me? No one. So what's the application? I close with these. First, let us flee from the wrath of God. Jesus has suffered God's righteous judgment in our place. Go to him in faith, he will receive you. And let us remain in that place of safety, the cross, the refuge. So if you've never fled the wrath of God, and today would be the first day, call out upon him. He's willing to receive you with mercy. But if you have fled the wrath of God, remain in the cross. There is no safety outside the cross, so persevere. Do, do not leave the cross of Christ. Do not think, oh, I wonder what's going on in the world out there. It looks kind of fun. 
No, stay inside the safety of the cross of Christ. Stay behind him, the one who's your shepherd who leads you to green pastures and, and fresh water. Stay the course. Stay the course. And second application, ask God to open doors for you to share the love of Jesus and the power of his cross with those who do not yet believe. You know, God's given us a message, and, and it's a message of hope. It's a message of grace, a message of his love. It's a message of redemption. It's a message of real life, what's real life, not fake life. The message of, of a forever home. It's a message of a family that is bound together, unalterably held together by the, by the greatness of God's grace. This is the message. It, it's so, so good, and I love that it's proclaimed here every week. I love that because it is so good. Now, Pastor Tim and the other pastors, they're ambassadors, but I want you to know you are too. Yes, bring them into church, invite them to come, but also, Lord, would you open the door and think of someone in your life right now before you leave here and say, Lord, think of that person and say, would you go open a door for me to have a personal conversation where I just tell them that Jesus, is, that Jesus loves them and that he died for them? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross of Christ, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, uh, it is your power. It's the only power we have to hope for life, to hope for a fresh spring in our heart uh, when our heart's been contaminated. Lord, teach us to fear you and teach us to love you. Unite our hearts to fear your name, we pray. Father, I pray that if anyone's here today who hasn't trusted in Jesus, that right now, Lord, if you're convicting them of sin, convicting of the need, convicting of the certainty of judgment, right now they look up to Christ. Right now say, Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. You died in my place because you love me. And I need your forgiveness that's been purchased for me by your blood. I want to receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen.